0: Dang, that was incredible. Truly. I have been bragging about you all week. Don't tell the morning, but I've been bragging about this evening group. You were so welcoming and so warm. In fact, I loved you so much that I brought my son. You want to see? Is he up there, Karen? My son? A picture of my son? (laughs) So I brought my son. Okay, is that the sweetest thing ever? All right, he is now 29, but since Austin, they're four years old, since he was old enough to say what he wanted to be when he grew up, my son Austin wanted to be a pilot. He was focused, school and life, and he worked really hard to make sure he could get a spot in the Air Force Academy to pursue his lifelong dream. And after graduation he did make it. He was slotted for pilot training. He passed all the tests. His eyes were still in good shape and but he was encouraged to defer pilot training for 2 years to go to grad school. So the Air Force sent him to grad school. Finally, after decades of waiting, 6 years ago, Austin headed to pilot training. But before training, he had to go through a 3-week screening. The Air Force hires independent contractors to wash out those who cannot meet the mental and physical demands required to fly a plane without killing yourself or another, or destroying their million-dollar planes. So Austin had to pass a certain number of tests and then flights if his dream was going to be realized. And I'll never forget when Austin called to tell us that he hooked a ride, which means he failed his first ride. He failed his first of only three possible fails before he would wash out Of pilot screening his dream was definitely at stake and his dream had become my dream which often happens to those of us who are parents or aunties or mentors right his dream became mine so Austin went on to tell us though in that phone conversation how the lord met him he was discouraged he was depressed and he went down to the pilot lounge and there he ended up sitting with two other young men who had also hooked their first ride. They also happened to be believers. And so they began to talk, fighting a sense of hopelessness. They talked about their futures and their purpose. And together they came back to the reason for why they joined the Air Force to begin with, why they wanted to be pilots. And that was to glorify the Lord, to proclaim and evidence the gospel, to be lights in the sky that we talked about last week. So hope renewed, their faith deepened, as God met them the next morning while they decided to worship at a local church. And the sermon that day, what you do doesn't define you, but whose you are. How powerful is that? So when dreams die, they do evidence the nature of our yes to God, don't they? How we handle the barren places of our life, our hopes unfulfilled, our longings that are not satisfied, help us see the nature of our faith. Do we say yes to God alone, or does it come with conditions, expectations? If I say yes to you, God, I expect you to fulfill my dreams and or the dreams of those I love. It is in painful places when dreams are literally slipping through our fingers that our faith is shaken, and rightly so. For some, it is shaken and then deepened, but for others in our life, we've seen that their faith has been shaken by a loss and they, and they have actually forsaken their faith. But as we saw this week, that was not Elizabeth. She waited for many decades to experience the most profound hope of any woman in her day and that was to become a mother. And when we meet Elizabeth in Luke 1, that dream has died. The scriptures declare she is barren and advanced in years. No possibility. Although her greatest longing had not been satisfied, we see that Elizabeth continued to press into God. She was not wavering in her love for or her worship of God. No, her faith actually deepened. It's actually really stunning if we think about it. But what amazes me more about Elizabeth as I think about her life and reflect on her was not only did she not waver when she did not have the dream she wanted, but when she got the dream she wanted Astoundingly, her dream is fulfilled, but both in barrenness and blessing, Elizabeth pressed into her God. Unfulfilled dreams, if we're honest, do impact our faith, but maybe fulfilled dreams impact it more. Once we get what we always wanted, our hearts may draw near to God in praise, but most of us begin, if we're honest, to press into the blessing and not the blesser. Are you like me? Our commitment to and our love for the worship of the Lord wanes. So I wondered six years ago, what will happen to Austin and his friends if they get to realize their lifelong dream of becoming pilots? Will the worship and the passion that they found as they pressed into God and the potential loss of their dream, will it wane when they become pilots? When we get the career, when we get the title, when we get the husband, when we get the kids, when we get the home, when we get the health, whatever it is we're after, our passion for God, if we are honest, it cools, doesn't it? Until another longing comes our way, and that tends to fire it back up. If our relationship with God wanes when we don't get what we want, or when we do get what we want, we actually have the opportunity to see the true nature of our yes to God. Elizabeth's life is deeply impacted by a significant dream lost. And then spectacularly, as you saw this week, unexpectedly, her dream comes true. Yet, neither in barrenness or blessing is she distanced from her God. Why? And I think in Luke 1, I believe we see why Elizabeth's faith never wavered by seeing the real nature of God's yes to her And Elizabeth's yes back to God. So if you're able, will you stand with me to read Luke 1 5 through 17? In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Father, thank you for your holy word, purposed and planned even for this night here at River Park. With my sisters, Lord, we pray that we will have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit would say. For your glory, Lord, and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can have a seat. So it's my prayer tonight that as we first look to Elizabeth's barrenness and then we look to her blessing, love will collide into our lives. As we discover... Elizabeth's yes and God's God's yes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth's yes in response are much greater than they first appear. So first, we're going to look at her barrenness. Barren. Elizabeth is faithful. The scriptures declare that she is righteous before God, and that means she has a real love for God, a trust in His promises to send the Redeemer. We know from the very early parts of Scripture that when God, in the Old Testament through the New Testament, declares anyone righteous. It is by grace through faith. It is not because of what she does merely. It is because what she believes. She has trust, a love for God, and a trust in his promise that he will send a redeemer, that he will fulfill his covenant promise to save his people. From the heart, Elizabeth kept God's laws not as a formula for life. She didn't keep his laws out of fear or out of pride. I'm all that. But love. She didn't keep God's laws to get God into her debt. A holy God had said yes to having a relationship with Elizabeth through his laws and statutes. Elizabeth saw God's law as it was intended. God's law reveals to you and I his love, it reveals his nature. He never lies. He never murders. He is perfect. He never bears fault with false witness. His law shows us who he is, shows us what real love is, and it brings people into that love. God's laws bring us into his presence. They put our lives back together. It has taken me years to recognize that God's law being holy is not an end in itself. Holiness is to get near. It is to know him. It is to know his character. It's to walk intimately with him. God's laws are intended to bring us into that powerful, holy, loving presence that puts our lives back together. Think about it, sisters. When you are obedient to God, do you not feel whole? Much more whole when you lay your head on the pillow? God's laws put our lives back together. And then his statutes restore us when we fail because we do fail. Elizabeth was not blameless in the sense that she never failed. Elizabeth was blameless in the sense that when she failed, she sought God's forgiveness. She offered the required sacrifices at the temple needed to restore her relationship with the Lord because she didn't want anything to come between her and her God. John tells us in 1 John 5:3 through the hand of the Holy Spirit, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why does John say that? Because his commandments breathe life into us. And those commandments include a way to be restored when we fail. They give life into which his love collides into ours. So Elizabeth is faithful. She's declared righteous. She's also fearing the Lord in awe. She lives in joyful awe of who God is and what he has done and what he has promised to do, both Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Zechariah do not rely on their obedience, but God's grace, his forgiveness. And we know this because when Gabriel visits Zechariah, serving as priest before God, what does Zechariah do? He trembles. If Zechariah thought he was all that in a bag of chips, would he have trembled when the, when the angel of the Lord showed up? No, he trembled because he knew, I am a sinner. I am a weak man. I have guilt. I am depraved before a holy God. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the laws and statutes they observed evidenced this truth to them. We can't be perfect. Yes, the law does show us God's character and it does invite us into a relationship with him, but it also shows us how we fall short, does it not? The law showed them I can't be perfect, I am not sinless, and I need ongoing grace and forgiveness to be restored to my God and to one another. So understanding the nature of their hearts, they did not ever think that their good deeds earned them anything. They did not think that God drove around with a bumper sticker on the back of his car calling them the student of the month. No, but because God's great love had taken hold of them, in their burden, they pressed into God more deeply. Imagine a priest and a holy woman barren. But because God's love, again, had taken hold of them, in this burden, in this loss, they pressed into God more deeply. And this is key as to why a baby did not become a God to them. A baby did not become all-important. Elizabeth's deepest longing was the love of her Heavenly Father. A baby is a dream she clearly must have been grieving. But we see from her response that a baby is not her ultimate dream. And my sisters, this is the only way to keep the losses in our life from becoming gods to us, all-important is to know God's love, is for his love to be greater to us than anything he could give to us. Some of us have experienced this reality and some of us have evidenced this reality in others. I was invited into a young woman's life several years ago, just 25, pregnant with her first baby, just been married a couple years, 20 weeks pregnant, and she finds out that her baby, all of his vital organs were outside of his body and his brain was not developing. And of course, the doctors had encouraged them to abort. And they said, no, we're believers, and we believe God has a purpose for this baby's life. They told them, this baby, you're you're probably gonna go into labor early. This baby's never gonna survive outside the womb. And Jen, and I have her permission to share her story, and Jen said, we will praise God for whatever we get for as long as we get him. holy ground to be invited to walk with her through that pregnancy, and when she went into labor, her husband called and said, would you you come to the hospital? And I got to be there as she began the labor process to pray with her and to watch her praise her God, and after I left and the labor intensified, Matt, her husband, shared with me that they needed to give her some sedation because it was such an intense labor. It was very early. She was only not even 30 weeks in the pregnancy, and it was a rough delivery And under sedation, she's praising God for this baby, knowing what she would face. Blake lived 17 minutes. And when I was invited to the graveside for baby Blake, I will never forget what I watched. I don't know if I've ever seen a couple grieve so deeply, so loudly, so profoundly and yet worship at the same time. It was so raw, so real, and so beautiful. They were grieving deeply, but their greater love was their father. And so they grieved with hope. When we experience barrenness, we press into whatever we believe will bring life. That's what Matt and Jen did in that moment at that graveside. As they wept, they pressed into what they believed would bring life and love into their life, and that was their Father, Heavenly Father. In our barrenness, we get to see what we trust in. What do we press into? Do we press into good deeds to try to get God into our debt? Do we press into people? Do we press into things? Do we press into information? Do we try to control? Do we escape? Those are our functional gods. Those are the things that we trust in. For many of us, our barrenness brought us to God. We found those things didn't work. Any of you with me? As I ran into so many many things to try to fill the voids in my life and nothing delivered, that barrenness, that hurt, that loss, that rejection was what brought me to God. We realize the ineffectiveness of everything else we've trusted in we see that the object of our faith has not been able to deliver. But often, when our burden is lifted and our barrenness is replaced with blessing, we run back to where we once placed our faith. Somehow those things just creep right back into life. But when Zachariah and Elizabeth were given what they always wanted, they remained faithful. In fact, they pressed into God more deeply, And I think looking at their response to getting what they always wanted, we can see why. They remained faithful to God when their dream of a baby came true because the dream of a baby was not their ultimate dream. They remained faithful to God when their dream came true because the dream of a baby, as great as it was, was not their ultimate dream. So let's look at that, blessed. In their blessedness in this gift of John they were focused. From what Gabriel tells Zechariah we can conclude that Zechariah was not only praying for a son but more so he was praying for the promised redeemer. If you look at the way the angel answers says this is your prayer has been answered he speaks first of the savior to come. And then Zechariah's hymn at the end of Luke 1 it's important that we notice that first Zechariah praises God for the promised deliverer before he praises God for the baby he's going to get through Elizabeth. More important to Zechariah than a son was the Savior. What about us? Is the deliverer, Jesus Christ, most important or is our dreams coming true? And the answer is evident in how we pray about all other dreams. What do we pray for, and how do we pray? You can see from that what is the ultimate dream, the deliverer or an earthly dream. And the effect is whether love and life will collide or not. See, both prayers of Zacharias are answered. The joy he will experience is not just that he will have a son, that he can take out into the wilderness and show him how to eat locusts and honey, right? But more so, Zachariah's joy will be in his son's mission. How convicting for any of us as parents. Is our joy in our children, grandchildren, or is it in their mission? John tells us there's no greater joy than seeing your children walk in the truth. What is John's mission? Great before the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit. Turn many to the children of Israel, to the Lord their God. He will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He is the forerunner of the awaited Messiah, Redeemer, Savior. And I don't know about you, but this this is a big ouchie for me. Is my joy in getting the things I've always wanted from the Lord? Is it what I get? Or is it what God gives me being used to turn others towards Jesus? Be they relationships, possessions, is my joy in what I have, what I've been given? Or is my joy in what has been given to me being used to advance the kingdom of Jesus? And this is not just a focus of Zechariah, but it is also Elizabeth. In Luke 1, to 25, we read, And when his time of service was ended, Zechariah, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. See, I think just as Zechariah's prayer was twofold, primarily it was for the Messiah and then it was also for an earthly son, I believe Elizabeth's idea of reproach is twofold. Clearly, the removal of her barrenness is a removal of a reproach. But we can see from her actions as she was in seclusion that a greater reproach is a focus for her. A greater reproach will be removed from her. See, reproach means guilt, and the writer is clear with us and clear with Elizabeth. She is not barren because she's sinful. So the reproach that's being removed from Elizabeth is the reproach of her sinful heart. Taking away Elizabeth's reproach is not merely about physical barrenness, but a spiritual barrenness. A coming Savior who will take away her sin and will throw it as far as the east is to the west. I mean, if we think about it that way, is that greater than a baby? Yes and amen. This is evident in Elizabeth's pregnancy and how she responds to her pregnancy. She's faithful and she remains fearing in awe of God. After secluding herself to consider what God has done, Elizabeth expresses God's heart. She expresses God's mind for this new life. We see this in Elizabeth's response to Mary visiting her. Mary's just been told she's carrying the Savior of the world. And in the interaction that we see between Elizabeth and Mary, we see that Elizabeth's big dream is not a baby boy, but a Savior. Look at Luke one to 39-42. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Imagine, can you, can you see it? Can you smell it? Can you taste it? From Luke 1, we know that Mary knew Elizabeth was pregnant. Remember, the angel tells her, nothing is impossible with God. But there is nothing in Luke 1 that tells us that Elizabeth knew Mary was pregnant. God reveals this through John, already filled with the Holy Spirit. He's making ready the first heart for the Lord, his mama. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Yes, John, this is the first, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And again, Elizabeth loudly declares what God revealed through his spirit and her womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Can you imagine? God reveals to Elizabeth that Mary's baby is the long awaited Savior. He is on the job moment one. That would be fascinating to watch movies of John's life, would it not? Elizabeth is the first ever to declare Jesus is the promised Christ. Elizabeth is privileged to be in Jesus' presence, and she surrenders to him as Lord, though he is no bigger than a jelly belly. Humbled, by witnessing God at work, getting to participate in his plan. Elizabeth prefers Mary. Don't miss this. Don't let this be lost on you. Mary is a poor teenage Nazarene. And Nazarenes, you don't want anyone to know you're from Nazareth. Likely she came unannounced. I and mean, she's honored. In contrast, Elizabeth faithful for decades, is the wife of a priest, the daughter of a priest. Yet there's no grudge. Elizabeth doesn't look at Mary and say, I'm the older one, I'm the faithful one. You carry John, let me have Jesus. In Elizabeth's culture, a woman's greatness was measured by the greatness of her child. If Elizabeth's dream had been that of a baby, then there would be envy and there would be jealousy. And this, too, convicts me. Whenever my dream is more than Jesus, I am filled with envy and jealousy and comparison. The unrest in my heart is ugly. In fact, I know when I feel that unrest in my heart that something has creeped in and become more important to me, and I take it out on others. John Piper writes, do you feel more loved? Do you feel loved by God because you believe he makes much of you? Or because you believe he frees you and empowers you to enjoy making much of him? Is that Elizabeth? Oh Lord, be mercy to me, merciful to me a sinner. Elizabeth is free to enjoy making much of the Lord. She knows she is more favored than she Deserves. So she is free of envy. Don't miss that, my sisters. Don't miss that, Patty. Elizabeth is free to enjoy making much of the Lord because she knows she is more favored than she deserves. She is free of envy. Envy is entitlement. And what are we entitled to, my sisters? Death and judgment. Unfulfilled dreams do evidence the nature of our faith. And for many of us, it is is barrenness that brings us to God and causes us to press into God. I've heard many people say to me, and I have said it too, I wish I could be as close to God in times of blessing as I am in times of suffering. Somehow in that midst of suffering, it feels like you're kind of hooked up to the Lord or the Holy Spirit like an IV. You know, you're just moment by moment, breath by breath. And then things get better and you feel this distance. Distance. And we shrug our shoulders and we say, okay, that just must be the way it is in this life on earth. But no, Elizabeth's life teaches us that doesn't have to be true. And it shouldn't be true. Elizabeth's yes actually seems louder in blessing than barrenness. And I think this is because God's greatest yes was not in her having a son, but in sending his son. The greatest yes that Elizabeth received was not in getting a son, but in knowing that her son was all about God sending his son. So Elizabeth's yes was not to having a son, but to her son's mission. Baby John, as cute as he could have been and as amazing as this blessing would have been, baby John could not take away her reproach of sin that is eternally devastating. But he would prepare the way for the one who would. Jesus. And this is key to her faithfulness in barrenness and blessing. Elizabeth helps us see that fearfulness and faithfulness in barrenness and blessing are dependent upon seeing what God sees. Do we see what God sees? Do we see what Elizabeth knew? That God, as the psalmist writes, looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. No, they have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. See, our greatest barrenness, my greatest barrenness, is not in what I don't have in this life. It's not in what you don't have in this life. And it may be great. There is probably significant loss in this room, ongoing suffering that is intense and impossible to humanly bear without the power of the Holy Spirit and the community of the saints. But it's still not the greatest barrenness of our life, whatever we face. It's not what we don't have. It's what we do have, sin. For God to be able to look on you and me, we need him to take away our reproach. He's holy. He's perfect. He cannot look on sin. Elizabeth knew this. She knew she needed a savior. As A.W. Tozer writes, stop tinkering with your soul and look away to the perfect one. Elizabeth knew there was no tinkering of her soul that could fix it. She needed a perfect one. She knew she was hopeless and she was helpless without someone to live the life she cannot and then die the death she deserves. Because the wages of sin are death, and our righteousness are as filthy rags. Do we know this? Do I know this? Do you know this? Do we know that our true barrenness, our reproach, and our shame, do we know that we are sinful? Do we know how capable of sin we are? Do we know that even when we don't sin, that is the grace of God holding us back? We think this world is evil. We don't have no idea what it could be if God was not restraining it through his spirit, through governments, through consciences. Having sin, if we get the depth of our sinfulness and what sin can do, what we are capable of doing, given the right opportunity and the right circumstances... Having our sin taken away will be our greatest dream. It will replace every dream. In fact, every other dream will pale in comparison. Our greatest longing to be fulfilled. A cynic once said, when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. Why? Because they never satisfy, right? Tim Keller says, Jesus is not going to play the rotten practical joke of giving you your deepest wish until he has shown you that it was for him all along. God is not going to play the rotten practical joke of giving you your deepest wish until he has shown you that it was for him all along. See, to take away our reproach, our guilt, Jesus willingly became barren. He emptied himself of his heavenly glory to bear our sin, to die in the most shameful way, the most agonizing way. And still the greatest terror was not the nails and the mocking and the spitting and the crown. It was his father turning his face. Why? Hebrews 12 says, for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is that joy? It's you and me. The joy of seeing us have our reproach removed. Isaiah tells us that it was God's pleasure to crush. God was pleased to crush his son. And that the son looked to see what we would become and was satisfied Our reproach, our shame taken away was the joy that was set before Jesus. That it is finished. The unimaginable promised dream fulfilled when he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. When we say yes to this Jesus, his life, His love collides into our lives in a way that enables us miraculously, supernaturally to face the barren places in our lives, the real, raw, painful places where we are sure God cannot move, and He does. Where we are sure He cannot change us, and He does. Where we are sure He cannot resurrect something, and He does. And I know that there are many of us in here that have walked through significant loss, maybe tonight. You're walking through loss right now. And you may not know why, and no one may be able to tell you why. But we know that it is not because God doesn't love us. Do not believe that lie. It comes from the pit, and it smells like smoke. We are not being punished. If we have placed our faith in Christ, there is no wrath left. God is not angry with us. He has poured it all out on his son. And so whatever we face today, whatever loss, it is not because he's mad at us. And it's not because he doesn't love us. The cross evidences that Jesus, that God loves us. He gave us his very best. It also shows us that Jesus understands our barrenness. He took all our sin on him. He was made sin. And his resurrection evidences that he is at work in every loss. Nothing is wasted. He breathes his love into all those aspects of life. His yes to us is to empower us to say yes by grace through faith in our barrenness. And blessings, what will be our yes? Will we say yes to seeing that all blessings, all dreams fulfilled are an opportunity to stand in awe and to recognize that he is Lord, to leverage every blessing, be it people, possessions, powers, positions of power, to leverage every blessing we have so as to participate in the work God is doing to prepare a people for himself. See, our hearts are going to cool if we use our blessings merely for ourselves, merely for me and mine, rather than to join God. Blessings are to be enjoyed. We have a whole book of Ecclesiastes tells us to enjoy the blessings of God, the things that he gives us under the sun. But there is a deeper, unspeakable joy to blessings that God intends. And that is when blessings in our life are used to join the work God is doing right now, making a way straight for Jesus to return, to make, set all things new, to finish the ultimate dream, the life we've always wanted. where love and life will collide for all eternity. Amen? So Austin is a pilot. His dream was was realized. In fact, his dream was exceeded. um, exceeded. He became a fighter pilot. He flies F-15 Strike Eagles. Now, if this was a group of men, they would all go, but since you're women, I'll just tell you it's a very fast, expensive plane. I don't mean to be gender specific, but in general. But in the next few months, Austin's going to give up the Strike Eagle to become an instructor pilot. And in part, he's doing this because of the needs of his family, which include his new baby has special needs. Being a fighter pilot, though it is an ultimate dream come true, it's not the dream, but it will be letting go of one. And as we wondered six years ago, we wonder now and we pray for him. Because dreams realized and lost impact our faith. In the places of barrenness and blessing, the depth of our faith is revealed to be deepened. In the places of barrenness and blessing, the depth of our faith is revealed that God, by grace through faith, Might deepen it. Like Elizabeth, in barrenness and blessing, our faith will be deepened to the extent we allow God's grace to reveal the dream come true. God's yes to us in Jesus. Like Elizabeth, in barrenness and blessing for you, for me, for Austin and his family, our faith will be deepened to the extent we allow. God's grace to reveal the dream come true. His yes to you and to me in Jesus. Father, just blow our minds, will you? With this truth right now, by the power of your spirit, will you just undo us with what you've given us? May we worship you. You are so worthy. And we thank you that when we worship you, when we stand in awe, when we are undone in the yes that you have given us in Jesus, all other lesser dreams are more fully enjoyed and all barrenness finds purpose and meaning and life transforming. Thank you for saying yes to us. Will you empower us? by your Spirit, to say yes, wherever we find ourselves tonight. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen.